ask you to join me in prayer as I begin my sermon this morning. Heavenly Father, I pray that the words that I speak from this pulpit, Lord, are life. They are life to each and every one of us, Lord, that they bring glory to you, that I might preach your gospel, Lord, to all men. I pray in the mighty name of Christ. Amen. All right. Well, for the past couple weeks, we've been going through the book of Ephesians. This book, or this letter, was written by the Apostle Paul to the faithful church at Ephesus during his prison time in Rome around A.D. 60. We have already went over the fact that this book is considered to be a major blessing to the church because of the content within this writing. Namely, that Paul is explaining the blessings of being in Christ and the importance of having knowledge of these blessings. It's been said that the book of Ephesians is the crowning glory of the New Testament. And it is surely a privilege for us to go through the book as a community together. Last week, I detailed the Apostle Paul's prayer for the saints. And I sought to explain the importance of having a knowledge of God, therefore being able to walk firmly, confidently, and established in Him. We cannot walk in the authority and the power of God if we do not know what we're walking in the authority and power of. So it is so important that we gain this knowledge of God. Many of you might, or might be familiar with my mantra, zeal empowered by knowledge. I believe it is vital that we allow our energy to serve God, to love God, to live in a manner that is set apart from the world, to come directly from the knowledge of God, directly from what the promises and the blessings are. That way it's a natural thing. It's coming from what we already know. This is confirmed in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 2-3, through 3, where we read, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of, our, and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that his divine power has granted everything pertaining to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. So we see that the power of God comes to us by the knowledge of him. So this is important that we have this knowledge. And last week we talked about how the Apostle Paul prayed for the church at Ephesus, that they would be enlightened to the knowledge of God, that they would know what the hope of their calling was, what the surpassing greatness of the power of God toward those who believe is. And what was the hope of his inheritance? To know these things is definitely a blessing. And obviously, today being National Back to Church Day, I think this is a great topic to touch on. As we enter into the passage we will discuss in Ephesians this morning, I want you to pay attention to how the knowledge of him, the knowledge of his plan, gives you everything pertaining to life and godliness. I do trust that the Spirit of God will confirm these things for you if you are desiring to understand them. If you will, open up in the Pew Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1 this morning. We're going to read the text and then explain some things. Today we'll be reading a pretty healthy chunk of Scripture. Don't worry, I won't uh, read through the entire book. You know, I have to give that warning since the first week I read through the entire book of Ephesians. And I know everybody was like falling asleep. Or maybe not. I, I was probably falling asleep during it. But uh, today we're going to read uh, verse 1 in chapter 1 to chapter 3, verse 21. So it's a, it's a healthy piece of scripture here. Beginning at verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are, who are at Ephesus and who are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be God the fa- and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us to adoption as sons, through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, 
which he freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood and forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight. He made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his kind intention, which he proposed in him, with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of times, that is the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things on earth. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will, to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be the praise of his glory. In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who was given as a pledge of our inheritance, with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of his glory. For this reason, I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, which exists among you and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of his strength, of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. He put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them too, we all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of our flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, being rich in his mercy because of his great love, which, which he lo- with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ, By grace you have been saved, and raised up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Jesus Christ. For by grace you have been saved, through faith, and not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, and not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, so that we would walk in them. Therefore remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who were called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands, remember that you were at one time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so that in himself he might make two into one new man, thus establishing peace, and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross, by it having put to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who are far away, and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints, and are of God's household. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together in a dwelling place, into a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for the sake of you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard the stewardship of God's grace which was given to me for you, 
that by revelation there was made known to me the mystery, as I wrote before in brief. By referring this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed in his holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit. To be specific, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel, of which I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me according to the working of his power. To me, the very least of the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ and to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery, which for ages has been hidden in God who created all things, so that the manifold wisdom of God might be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. This was in accordance with the eternal purpose which he carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have both boldness and confidence and access through faith in him. And we'll stop there, not 21.12. Sorry about that. All right. So we've already discussed in our past uh, couple sermons and I would urge you, if you're new here and you have not listened to those sermons, uh, we do have a podcast. You can go to bluepointbiblechurch.org, and you can click on past sermons, and there's a beautiful list of all the past sermons uh, going back quite some time. So if you want to listen to the Ephesians one, you'll click on a link. It'll bring you right to the more recent uh, sermons, and you can click on part one, part two, and today would be part three. So what we have discussed is the six blessings that Paul mentions in Ephesians chapter one. And last week we discussed Paul's prayer for the Ephesians that their eyes, the eyes of their hearts may be enlightened so that they would know the hope of what, what the hope of his calling is. What are the riches of the glory, and glory of his inheritance in the saints and what is the greatness of his power toward us who believe? If we can know those three things, last week we talked about the, having the knowledge of those things will push us to live a life of godliness and will help us understand the, the energy and the love and the zeal that we have for God. So I would urge you to go back and listen to that message. Paul then begins to remind those at Ephesus who they once were. If you notice here, just going back to chapter 2, he begins to remind them that this is by grace, that you were once of those people. You know, that's something we can all relate to today in our time, that, you know, we once walked in a way that wasn't glorifying to God. So he reminds them who they once were, and he's making a point that God has done a work here. This isn't you. This is God doing this by his grace, raising up the saints, seating them in heavenly places where the blessings are. He's raised us up and put us there. This isn't something I attained or you can do yourself. This is something God, through Jesus Christ, must do so that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. That's why he did that. He's blessed you so that in the ages to come, he might show the blessings of his grace, his kindness, of what he did in Jesus Christ. So the question is, are you ready to understand and receive what the Lord has done? That's the question you must ask yourself this morning. Because we're going to dig into the, the passage a little bit here. So ask yourself that before we get into it. Starting off with Ephesians chapter 2, verse 7. So that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. We must figure out how these blessings would come to, come to show those in the ages to come what the surpassing riches of his grace were. How do we show people that? How in the ages to come was God planning to do this? How in this moment in history does this have something to do with it? He said grace. That's, amen. That's exactly what it is. So clarity in this alone, clarity on this topic of grace, 
will help us understand the blessed state of being in Christ. The Jews believe that this age and the age to come, they believe in these two ages, they believe this age, the present evil age that they were in, that the Apostle Paul spoke about in Galatians chapter 1, verse 4, was the age of Moses and the law. It was coming to an end. That age was coming to an end when these writings, these New Testament writings, were being spoken about, were being written. A frightening thought for those at the time who clung to the righteousness of the law, the righteousness of the law that set Israel apart from all the other nations, was that this was about to come to an end. You know, John the Baptist, when you open up the New Testament, the first thing John the Baptist says to the religious leaders is, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? You know, they were, they were scared. Something was about to happen. In Hebrews chapter 8, verse 13, we read that the age characterized by the old covenant, which was called heaven and earth, was becoming obsolete, growing old, and was ready to pass away. Now, the book of Hebrews was written around 60-something 60, 60 A.D. And this is talking sometimes past, about 2,000, what, 2000 years ago. So something was coming to an end in that moment in history. And that's what we're going to read about. And we're, we're noticing, if you notice, Paul says that in, age, in the previous generations, this was not made known to the sons of men. People did not know this. This wasn't revealed to anybody. That, that at this time, something was being revealed. So Jesus Christ himself said that the law would not pass away, the law which condemned men, you know, the uh, it speaks about Moses, the law of Moses being the accuser. It's what you know, leads you to the knowledge of sin. If I give you a rule book and I tell you this is what is wrong and you read the rule book, you know that this is what sin is. So the law of Moses was a sin and it was pointing out 613 laws that were impossible for anybody, even us today. We, we, we've gone really wrong um, you know, if we're trying to follow that law. But 613 rules just to make sure you know that you're a sinner. God gave this to Israel to clarify, you are sinners and you're in need of grace. It's not something, you cannot fulfill the obligations that God requires. So, this would not pass away. The obligation to live this law would not pass away until every jot and tittle, which is the smallest letters in the Hebrew alphabet, until they have all been fulfilled, until everything has been fulfilled. This law will not pass away. So obviously the question you must ask yourself today is, do I believe that passed away? Because then you would be required to follow 613 laws. And just by the looks of the crowd here, you're all failing. So this needed to be fulfilled in order for this time period to pass away. Fulfillment of the promises made to the Jews, namely judgment and resurrection. Those were things that were to come. Those were jots and tittles of the law. Those must pass in order for this new, this, uh, new era, this new age, the age to come, to even come into being. And when this did happen, this would cause the Gentiles to glorify God. And we'll see this in today's text. Just to clarify some terms, Jews, people of Israel, the people that were given the law, Gentiles, everybody else, people that are outside. You're not a part of this. You're not following the 613 laws. You have not been circumcised under the law of Moses. You are a Gentile. You had no place in Israel until you came under those laws got circumcised under the law of Moses, and then you'd have a place in Israel. So you were far off. That's, you know, all of us can somewhat understand that. We were far off, and we've been brought in by the grace of God. So during the first century, the end of the age was a growing concern. The disciples of Christ come and ask him, after a rather harsh message to the Jewish leaders, when will the end of the age be? What will be the sign of your coming in judgment and the end of the age? the present evil age. 
if it was a question whether or not they were going to experience the end, the Apostle Paul makes it clear in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11, when he reminds the Corinthian church that the historical story of Israel's craving for evil was written for examples upon them whom the end of the ages had come. The end of the age would enable the arrival of an age to come. The end of that present evil age, would, you know, once that ended, that law passed, everything was fulfilled, an age to come, or what could be called the age of resurrection, would come into being. When he might gather all things in one, under Christ, in heaven and on earth. That in Christ all things would be gathered together. This kingdom of God. We see this in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 10. The spiritual kingdom of God would be made manifest, and his servants would serve him. This would be a spiritual thing. It was going from a natural, literal Israel, a people of God under 613 laws, to a spiritual people who would have the law of love, the law of liberty, acknowledging God for what he did by grace. No more death, no more mourning or crying because the old order had passed away. So how is this all going to come about? That's the question. How was all of this going to come about? Okay, so God's going to sum up all things God is going to bring all things by the grace of God. All the law is going to be fulfilled. Every jot and tittle. Everything's going to pass. And this new age is going to come. How is this going to happen? That was the question of that time. That was the mystery of the ages. In verse 8 and 9 we read, For by grace, which is unmerited favor, something you do not deserve, that you have been saved. Understanding salvation is a topic that would take a sermon in and of itself. So I'm not going to deliver that sermon this morning to you. But... Actually, maybe 15 sermons, sorry, not a sermon in and of itself. It's important to know that as Romans 1.16 speaks about, the gospel message is salvation to the Jew first, then to the Gentile. The Jews needed a Messiah. They needed somebody who would fulfill their law to save them from the law of sin and death. They were under this obligation to fulfill these 613 laws. You and I have never been under the obligation to fulfill 613 laws. We have a problem with two. Love God, love your neighbor. That's complicated enough. You can only imagine 613 of them. So, these Jews are under these 613 laws, and they need a Messiah, a work of God, that is going to save them from this law of sin and death, which marked them as dead. The law would pass away when it was completely fulfilled, and the age to come would be consummated at the resurrection. The Gentiles, the Gentiles in the flesh which I would say most of us are. I don't know everybody's background here, but most of us are Gentiles in the flesh, and now everybody's a Gentile in the flesh here. So they were excluded from the promises altogether. They were never under the law. They were outside of this. And as we'll learn in this text, Christ incorporated them into one body, bringing them into the blessings of Christ, getting rid of the distinction between Jew and Gentile. Christ became a servant to the circumcised, to the Jews, in order to prove God's truthfulness and to confirm the promises made to the patriarchs, the fathers of the faith. And this would result in the Gentiles, and even 2,000 years later, result in us praising God for what he did. We see this talked about in Romans chapter 15, that God would fulfill the promises made to the patriarchs, the fathers of Israel, and that through that the Gentiles, the nations, would come to worship God. Now if you read with me verses 10 and 13, it says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Therefore, remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands, 
Remember that you were at one time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, notice in verse 13, but now, something that was not before, that's but now, right now, in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So something was happening in the now. You who are formerly far off now are being brought near. That was the salvation of a Gentile. Now you have an opportunity. You had nothing to do with that. That was not, that you had no place in that. You had no place in the promises. You had no place in the covenants. You had no God and you were without hope. You're out there. But now, through Jesus Christ, you have opportunity by the blood of Christ. They were the enemy of the righteous. The Gentiles were the enemy of the righteous. They were the people that were getting conquered continually by Israel. But now you have an opportunity. In verse 14, it says, For he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. For he himself is our peace. Christ established peace where there was hostility. As you read through the New Testament, even in the Gospels, you'll see that the Gentiles were referred to as dogs. They were the heathen, the, the, you know, the people out there. You didn't even want to touch them. They were unclean. They were dirty. We read about Peter didn't want to eat with these people as they were being brought in. If you were not an Israelite or under, even to go even further, if you were not of certain houses, you know, they had the house of Israel and the house of Judah. If you weren't of one, the, the proper one, the house of Judah, you were heathen. So the law created a distinction between God's people and those people. Those people out there. The Israelites would be a set-apart people, a a national distinction, and a nation of distinction. And up to the time of Christ, this hostility grew worse and worse. Just read through the New Testament, and you'll see they did not want those people having any part in this. They did not want any of us to have any part in this. We were supposed to come under 613 laws, be circumcised under the law of Moses, and then you might have a place in this if you lived up to what they deemed, the religious leaders of that time deemed as righteous. In Isaiah chapter 65, where God is speaking about the glories of the new covenant, he speaks about the lying laying with the lamb. Many erroneously believe and begin to conjure up, uh, you know, vegans and, you know, uh, a time where, you know, I guess all the animals will become vegans, lions will eat straw and grass and, you know, and everything will be peaceful. But this lacks context if you read Isaiah chapter 65. Instead, this passage is contrasting a time when, the largely ethnically centered Old Covenant, these nation of Israel, would one day be replaced by the New Covenant, where the lion, God's enemies, as you read through the Old Testament, the lion is used to denote enemies sometimes. So the lion will lay with the lamb. These two creatures that are opposed, have a hostility toward each other, will lay down together. They will have a peace. For Christ himself is our peace. Christ did this. This is the glory of the New Covenant. He did this by making the both groups into one, by the body of Christ. He broke down the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity or the hatred, that's what enmity means, hatred, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace. That was the mystery. How was he going to do this? In himself, by his grace. Not something that the Gentiles and Jews would have not gotten along safe if Jesus Christ would have brought them into one body. That's how we have a place in this. That was the mystery. Because for the life of them, they couldn't figure out how this was going to work. Are they going to get circumcised and brought under the law? How are the Gentiles going to have a place in this? Because in the Old Testament, you see the Gentiles 
There was a time coming when the Gentiles would have a place. But the mystery was how. How would this come about? And we know now by Christ breaking down this barrier, breaking down this dividing wall of hostility. The death of the old man, characterized by Adam, under the law of sin and death, that's what that was, the old man, the the body of Adam, and being raised up into the one new man, the body of Christ. This would be our peace. And we're raised up into a new body. We're raised up into the heavenlies where the blessings dwell. Christ's sacrifice on the cross was a once and for all sacrifice. The last required sacrifice for atonement under the law. Otherwise, the Jews would still, year after year, offer sacrifices for atonement. Something the Gentiles, as unclean people, had no place in. We had no place in that. You could not enter the temple. You were not welcome. Now, through Christ, there is access for all to the Father. Through that sacrifice, that once-for-all sacrifice. In verses 19 through 20. Actually, I'm sorry, 19 through 22. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and and are of God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building, being fitted together, is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling place in the Spirit. Thank God that we are being built upon a foundation that we can trust. This is talking about being built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus gave a very strong message dealing with a strong foundation in contrast to a faulty foundation that falls. He was detailing the difference between those who would listen to his words and act on his words against those who would fail to do so. Jesus' words are life. Understanding the blessed state of being one in him is vital to living a fulfilled life. The historical application of Jesus' message clearly demonstrates this. If you think, Jesus spoke about coming judgment. He spoke about resurrection. He spoke about the blessed state of the new heavens and new earth. Those who listened to his teachings found life and substance in his teachings. Whereas the religious Jews who rebelled didn't listen, what happened to their system? They came under judgment. They lost it. It fell. If you're built on a faulty foundation, it's going to fall. The Christians fled to the region of Pella. They listened to what Jesus said. Jesus said, when you see this about to occur, flee. And they did. If that simple and natural blessing can be illustrated, how much more glorious is the spiritual life that, we can, be found, that can be found in Christ? If we know that by listening to the words of Christ, that the saints in AD 70, when judgment came upon that system, the Jewish system, the system of law, when that judgment came, if we know that the simple thing that they listened to what he said and fled to the mountains of Pella, how much more do we know what spiritually where we're warned against the things of this world, the finding a righteousness in and of ourselves that will always fail. It will come under judgment. If you want to come under judgment like the system that offered that, no. So we know that if we listen to Christ and we act on his words, how much more substance can be found in, our, in everyday life, in a spiritual life, in a blessed state, We literally hold the key to life itself. The question is, do we know how to use it? Do we know how to heal the nations with this message? The Apostle Paul did understand this. He understood that this was a key to life. He was given such a grace to bring this message to making many rich. He was bringing it to the Gentiles. He says, for this reason I, Paul, the prisoner 
of Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace which was given to me for you, that by revelation there was made known to me the mystery as I wrote before in brief. By referring to this when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. The glorious mystery of God is taking a natural-based covenant, a group of people, Israel, taking this covenant from them. They were considered the kingdom of God, by the way. I don't know if everybody fails to realize that, that in the old covenant, they were the kingdom of God. They were the people going out and conquering. They were representing God. So they went out and did conquest after conquest. The nation surely knew that God was on the side of Israel. We see this throughout the Old Testament. They were the people of God. They were the people who were conquering their enemies and finding rest. So that was the blessing of being a part of the people of God. We now have part in that. That's what this text is telling us. That the Gentiles find a part in that through the grace of God in Jesus Christ. That was the mystery. How do the Gentiles have a place in this? If Israel is a natural-based covenant under law, conquering nations, literally conquering nations, how are the Gentiles going to share who's going to be conquered? That's the next question. What are we conquering? Conquering death. Conquering despair. We're conquering crying and mourning. Remember, the old orders passed away. Those are our enemies. And we're conquering that. We're conquering death itself. Because we believe we have a message of life. You all know on our church card, get a life. We believe we're conquering that. We're conquering death with a message that brings healing. We literally get to move forward conquest after conquest, just as Israel of old did. In verse 4, by referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, a mystery that was not made known into other generations as it, has, has, as it is now at the time of the prophets and apostles. Right Now, something that wasn't before again. So, you know, a lot of times people know, miss these, te- these uh, important things. Not now, today in 2013. No, now when this writing is being written in A.D. 60. Something's being revealed in that time that was not revealed to the sons of men in any other generation. And that's how the Gentiles are coming to share into this. And we know that they're not going under law, right? They're not going under law because the law is going to be fulfilled. They're coming into the age to come. That was the promise of the messianic kingdom. Just in case we have no idea what this mystery is, Paul says, to be specific, the Gentiles are fellow heirs and members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. The gospel being the good news that there is no law of sin and death. You don't have to come under 613 laws. I'm not here to tell you that this morning. By the grace of God, you don't have to do that. That's the good news. That you don't have to have a righteousness of your own. That Christ has already fulfilled that. And you can come under the law of God to love God and love your neighbor. That you can find rest in that. That you can conquer the world in that. We can conquer the world by love. I know that seems like such an idealist position. But it's so true. The blessing of being a part of this people was that now we know the mystery, right? We're being brought in. There's no more law of sin and death. There's no more barrier. There's no accusing law of Moses to make us feel like we fail again and again and again. There's no more condemnation. Romans 8.1 says there's no more condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Life is given and found in Christ. Condemnation sure isn't life, is it? I don't want to feel condemned. A sure foundation will not fall if we put our, our hope in the foundation that's built on 
the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ being the cornerstone, it will not fall. This is what the Apostle Paul was made a minister of. Testifying the grace of God demonstrated by the power of God. A power we possess as his saints. We talked about this last week and the week before. You all know the song, right? All right I got the power. Yeah, we, we did that one. I played it for everybody. Don't worry. Uh, you all, those that are visiting missed out. The fact that the Jews and Gentiles incorporated into one body in Christ opens the door for the unfathomable riches to be revealed. That this is no longer a physical people that are going out conquering. No, instead, you all are being incorporated by the grace of God into the body of Christ. And the riches of God can be continually shown. This alone is a beautiful thing. Imagine how it looked in that time. When they could get a Jew and a Gentile to come under one roof and to glorify God. People that were enemies. This enables us to tell a message to the world that in Christ life can be found. That peace can be made. The power that was demonstrated through the physical, natural Israel, through the Old Testament, the authority of having God on your side, now belongs to those in Christ. You read that Old Testament, you can read about some powerful stuff. Israel, they were conquering and conquering and having God on their side. We can say in Christ that now we, the people in Christ, have that. We are the kingdom of God. We now destroy every false notion, every thought, every argument that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. Why? Because the knowledge of God is where the blessings are. Remember the verse from 2 Peter I read at the beginning? That through the knowledge of God, you have everything that pertains to life and godliness. It's not about defeating nations any longer. We're not out there trying to beat up nations. It's so much bigger than that against the things we see every day, the things I hear every day, probably things you hear every day. People, you see people in despair, you see people broken, and we know that the knowledge of God will fix it. If I could just try to understand and be able to explain it to you, we might be able to win every battle. Israel had to have the faith to move forward. They had to have to want to go to the promised land. They leave Egypt, they're walking toward promise by faith to enter into a land that was occupied by a people that it seemed impossible to defeat. I dare say that we could see that analogy today. We all live in the same world, right? When we have the knowledge of God, and we know the knowledge of God wins every battle, yet we go out there and we say, it seems impossible to give these people life, to give them promise, to give them hope. The dismal worldview that surrounds us, the lack of clarity that seems impossible to fix, People settling for less than life itself. This mystery was revealed with the intent that the manifold wisdom of God might be made known through the church. That's what we read here in Ephesians chapter 3. It says, after giving this whole discourse, remember that we have all these numbers and chapters. This was a letter. So when you read it as a letter, it actually makes a lot more sense. So Paul's giving this long discourse. Tells them about the blessings. Tells them about how the knowledge of these blessings will help them move forward in the power of God. He begins to tell them the mystery, that the Gentiles have a place in this Jewish covenant, that as God's fulfilling the promises to the Jews, that the Gentiles are being incorporated into one body. And then he says, so that the manifold wisdom of God might be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This mystery was revealed so that it might be made known through the church. And not just to the average man, We're not making the message known just to the average man, but to go beyond that into the spiritual things, to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. That's why they say that our war is not with flesh and blood. When I talk to a person about the gospel of Christ, 
I'm not dealing with that natural person. I'm dealing with the spiritual reality. I'm dealing with something spiritual beyond them. So I'm actually preaching to that spiritual thing beyond that person. You came into this building this morning, gathered for church, hopefully to hear a message that would encourage you, edify you, equip you to do good works. Amen? Okay. Well, I'll tell you this this morning. The reason and intent of this message is to heal the nations. Sadly, I believe we've misunderstood the revelation of the mystery by failing to keep the story in its proper context. Understanding what the salvation to the Jew first was and how that was brought to the Gentiles. To illustrate the point from Acts, Cornelius and his family received the Holy Spirit and the Gentiles of Antioch and Pisidia glorified the word of the Lord because they believed that Jesus had died, not died for their sins, but because they believed that the story of Jesus and Israel They believed in what God had done through Israel. And you can read about this in Acts chapter 10 and Acts chapter 13. The Gentiles were glorifying God for what he was doing through Israel. Now, if we can get that story right and stop jumping in the middle, I believe we can actually use this message to heal the nations. So, yes, you did gather this morning to be able to be equipped, edified, encouraged, encouraged by a message that God was faithful to Israel, incorporating us into this by Jesus Christ. If we can figure that out and use that story in its proper context, we can heal the nations. We can make sense. We can have a true and reasonable gospel to explain to a world that so desperately needs hope. I hope I was able to demonstrate some of that to you this morning. That this was about Israel. The Gentiles were incorporated in through Jesus Christ. So Jesus Christ is where the hope is found. He's where life is found. He broke down this barrier, this law, these rules making it about his grace, making it about him. It is by grace you have been saved, not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. This peace that Christ enabled was for his glory by his grace. He doesn't want to give it to you. He doesn't want to share. He doesn't want you to find it on your own. He wants you to allow him to do a work, a work in you, a work in the world, trusting in him, knowing his story, and that he is faithful That's the one thing Israel had seen that they did somewhat understand that we just can't seem to wrap our minds around. That God is faithful. Granted, they had their issues many times as well. This true and reasonable explanation is the message that we must bring to the nations. We must study this book and get this message better understood. Because then when we do that, I have the faith, I have the trust that we will be able to heal the nations with this message. So, Join us next week. I'm going to tell you what's going to happen next week. We're going to unravel what this therefore means. Okay, now you've you got a bunch of knowledge. You know the mystery of Christ, that the Gentiles were brought into this by understanding what God was doing through the Jews and through the body of Christ by grace alone, right? I think we all got that at this point. But why? And what does it mean now? What therefore does this mean? And that will be next week's message, actually, therefore. So you'll understand why and what we must live like today and how we move forward in all of this, and how we make known the manifold wisdom of God to the nations that so desperately need it. If you joined us for the first time this morning, I challenge you to give this a go. Continue to come back for at least 30 days. Give it 30 days. Ask yourself if learning the knowledge of God will equip you to find life to the full. If you can learn the knowledge of God here, and I'll tell you what we are is we are a community of wisdom and understanding. That's what we pride ourselves on here. 
We pride ourselves on understanding the gospel, on seeking to understand this book, not making it into fairy tales, not making up what we want it to say. Understand this book. If you do that, and if you realize this morning, my message wasn't just some fly in the sky, you know, no, it was something to help you understand this story so we could better explain it to a world that needs something that actually makes sense. So if you do that, give yourself 30 days, and I challenge you to say, will the knowledge of God actually equip me to live a life that's life to the full? That's what you'll find here. So I invite you to challenge yourself for that for the next 30 days. With all that said, we're going to take up our missions offering this morning. In light of what we talked about this morning, let us consider what to give as we seek to have this message, this church, this kingdom of God, heal the nations. Let us pray, and then I will have the ushers come up and collect the offering. Heavenly Father, I pray that today we might commit ourselves to better understanding your message, Lord. That way we might truly bring a message that heals the nations to a world, Lord, that's living in despair, that's finding life in things that do not bring life, Lord. I pray that we understand the message to the church at Ephesus and that the promises that you have given to us by your grace and your grace alone, that we might turn around and glorify you. I pray that we walk worthy, Lord, and that we understand what this therefore means, Lord. Thank you for the grace that you have bestowed upon us, that we might turn around and give you glory. We pray in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen.